Hi, everyone. Welcome to our monthly webinar. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about whether or not a claimant is an employee. Uh, but before we be moving on that end, let's uh, set a couple of things. Well, when this happens, your insured wants to know, first and foremost, whether or not this claimant is an employee. And if that person is employee, will they get benefits? We're going to go into some specific topics as well, where we talk about undocumented workers, minors, and independent contractors. Okay, and along with this topic of who is an employee and defenses and the lack of employment, uh, we also have our book uh, that you can be sent. And we also, in our book in Chapter 4, we're going to be able to go ahead and address all of the issues here. And along with the handbook, we have the articles on our website, yep. these monthly webinars that we do, mm -hmm. as well as a routine newsletter that you can sign up for and get updates when they're uh, case law. And if you completely forgot to show up and you had a bit of a late lunch, uh, you can also access our webinars under lois-llc.com slash webinar archive. Just type in uh, what you're looking for and we should be able to pull up the webinar. And as Steve mentioned earlier, we do have a question and answer portion of this webinar. You should see a screen like that somewhere where you can submit questions at your leisure mm -hmm. during the webinar, even a little bit after the webinar. If we don't get to those questions during the presentation, we'll always be uh, happy to answer them via email. Absolutely. Just give us a day or two. We'll get to it. Now, um, let's set the stage here. You have a situation where someone's been injured. Um, in this type of scenario, someone slips and falls here. looks like they're doing sort of weird cheerleader tactic. I don't think he's going to mount that landing. Uh, I don't think he's going to land. I mean, it's going to be terrible. Uh, and if he does absolutely nothing, what happens? We do nothing. It's presumed compensable. But what happens if you don't want to go ahead and accept this case? What are your options then? Well, we do have a list of defenses that we may use. This is non-exclusive, uh, however. I think we're going to talk about the non-employee defense because it's bold and larger font. So you're saying because we did a few slides on it and we set up this entire show, we should talk about the non-employee? Why not? Okay, let's do that. Let's do that. Okay, so uh, some housekeeping first. Uh, if you have a denial, the first thing you should be worrying about is when's the notice of indexing? Because your denial, your SORIO 4, and your SORIO 4 should be filed within 25 days from that notice of indexing. Um, we also have a PH 16.2. What's that, Christian? It's a pre-hearing conference statement, Steve. We need to file it at least 10 days prior to the pre-hearing conference to maintain all those defenses and also maintain a list of witnesses that we can produce at trial. You don't want to have a situation where you forgot to mention a witness and didn't put in your PA 16.2 and then they're precluded, right? Has that happened to you before? It's happened, but we try to make that happen as little as possible. Absolutely. Now, we also have an OC 400.5. Um, what do we use that for, Christian? Well, we use that to certify the defenses are true and uh, potentially uh, something that can erase the compensability of this claim. Right. They're not frivolous because we don't do that type it's of thing. A, it's a real issue in controversy, and we're not just being difficult for the sake of being difficult. All right. So what is an employee? Right. Well, an employee provides services to an, another entity that allows that entity to profit. There's a more... Uh, Verb, verbiose language in section two. Let's, uh, let's not get into it. There's too much going on. Okay. Words, pages. Let's Does he have a pay stub and a W-2? Okay. He's probably going to allege that he's an employee of your company. Let's go from there and see how we can attack it. Okay. So here we have a scenario where someone's calling up Greg and this lady seems to be struggling on the floor. I, I don't know. This guy's ties all over the place. What's happening here? Uh, I didn't think I'm going to give Joey the benefit of the doubt. Let's hope that He's sending someone to help. <laughs> or calling uh, to help. They help me, help me, help me. Yeah. Um, okay. 
Sarah just got hurt here because she was not following safety rules. Can she file a workers' compensation claim? And the answer to that question is yes. Um, the safety rules, uh, although it gives us a, uh, a decision here, it makes us want to say if you're not following safety rules, we could go ahead and deny benefits. That's just simply not the case. The board and the courts have consistently held that the workers' compensation benefits are issued regardless of fault. So even if they're not following those safety rules, they're still going to be uh, you're still going to be liable for those benefits. And what do we have here? Well, we have a new lab technician who, before he even filled out his new hire paperwork and before he punched in for the day's work, he was burned by a Bunsen burner. Can he file a workers' compensation claim? But look at his face. He just seems to be so evil, like he's planning on doing it, like he's just being such an evil pr- with this. What is he wearing? Like, would you wear something like this? A brown suit? Nah, that's not really my style. I like the gray. I like your gray. The gray on gray? Okay. Absolutely. Can he file a workers' compensation claim, though? The answer is yes. Now, the interesting thing here is, although he's technically not an employee because his paperwork wasn't processed, mm-hmm. he's still providing a benefit to, to the employer and the employer should take on that risk of having him file for a claim. So just because he doesn't punch in and just because he doesn't completely fill out the new hire paperwork doesn't mean that the courts are just going to disallow the claim. And from the other side of it, guys, um, this also prevents an employer from saying, yeah, I got the W-4, I forgot to file it. Yeah, I got that payroll, so if I forgot to submit it, it makes sure that um, an employer can use that excuse to go ahead and escape liability in that type of case. Now, the next scenario we have... Um, after an accident, we learned this employee did not have working papers. Can he still file a claim? Like, I know we just have a photo, but it looks like he's going to get hurt really bad yeah, here. Yeah, I don't know. Would you put your money on the light bulb or the actual part of the bottom falling in? Uh, either or. It looks like he's he's in for a bad one there. It's not going to go well. Can, can he you, file a claim, though, Steve? He absolutely can file a claim, um, regardless of the fact of whether or not he's undocumented or not. Um, he's entitled to these workers' compensation benefits. Alien employees are covering the workers' compensation statute. Um, they're covered, and the courts have consistently held that an employee who has entered the country illegally will not be barred from compensation, which would otherwise be available to him or her. But, Christian, why is that? Well, there's a social contract involved here, and, and, and the courts really want to enforce this policy where an employer cannot voluntarily and intentionally hire an illegal worker, and then when he gets hurt on the job, disclaim coverage and have nothing to do with him. There's a social contract involved that's assessing that a benefit is provided to the employer Mm -hmm. and the employer should take on that risk. Okay, and there's another more subtle point here when speaking of social contracts. uh, You have a situation where an employee is working for his employer thinking, I'll work for you because I know if I'm injured, you're going to provide me workers' compensation coverage. On On the other end of it, the employer is sitting there thinking, okay, I'll provide you with this coverage because you're going to promise not to sue me in, in a civil case, right? Of course, there's some exceptions to that rule, but overall, this is kind of the contract that the employee and the employer have when working. So now we have a situation where a 16-year-old kid who collects his shopping carts gets hurt while working. But later, it turns out he has fake working papers. Can he file a claim? The answer is yes. Just because the person is a minor with fake working papers does not mean that he is prevented from entering the workers' compensation system. Okay. So I guess what we're trying to figure out are are minors who are illegally employed covered if injured while working? Well, the short answer is yes. And even worse, not only is the minor employee entitled to compensation, but the employer is also subject to double compensation. An employer is obligated to ensure that a minor is legally entitled to work by asking the minor to produce working papers. 
that puts the burden on the uh, employer in that case. But the law is meant to provide extra protection for that minor worker. We don't want to discourage them from entering the workforce. We're putting the onus on the employer to make sure paperwork is processed in the correct way and all verifications are made uh, truthfully. Right. But Steve, what if that minor employee misrepresents their age? Does that change anything? What do you think I'm going with the censor? I think all of them have been found compensable so far, so, so I'm going to go with that one. Drum roll, the employer is still liable here. Uh, a minor who misrepresents his or her age when gaining employment is nevertheless still, and I bolded that, bold, bolded, still entitled to double compensation if the employer violates the appropriate statute. And with those appropriate statutes, we're looking at labor law, uh, state or federal. So mm-hmm. there's plenty of things that they could violate here. We need to be careful. Okay. Uh, here's our next example. In this type of scenario, uh, we have the staffing company to supply our plant workers. If one of those Lent employees gets hurt, can they file a claim against us? And in this one, I don't see anyone actually injured. Maybe he's just looking for for help. Maybe, Maybe his boss is looking, so he has to look really as busy as he can look. He could be on this webinar too, Steve. Don't oh, oh he might be signed up. Yeah. Okay. So in this type of scenario with a Lent employee, the answer is really it depends. Um, it's going to depend on the contract you have with the staffing agency. The staffing agency might have their own insurance contract. And if they have their own workers' compensation policy, then presumably the claimant would be covered under theirs. But generally speaking, the law tends to say uh, the Lent employee is the responsibility of the actual employer. So the coverage would be on the employer in that type of scenario. Right. And as you said, this is the type of scenario that would be decided prior to the employee even working. There's going to be a contract between the two entities that's going to determine who has coverage. And just to throw one extra little wrinkle in there, Christian, uh, you might both actually be found liable. The staffing company and the employer might be found on the hook here. So just it's going to depend on the facts of your case as well. Our next situation has to deal with the construction YMCA? workers. The YMCA. Well, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They're not pointing and okay. screaming. All right. But – your insurance is going to tell you that they are all independent contractors and they're going to ask if that's going to hold up. Well, it depends. The independent contractor versus the employee is a highly litigated uh, defense in this uh, venue. Construction contacts even play a larger role in this determination. But Christian, you're up here. I need you to be a little bit more down here. Okay. All right. The levels. Just... We'll go to the basics, Steve. Okay. All right. The next okay. slide. Why don't you help us? With okay. That? The employee versus the independent contractor is the focal thing we want to uh, notice right now. An employee is employed by the employer, and an independent contractor is generally considered to be self-employed. Now, what does that mean, and why do we care? Because it shows who has the right of control in this type of scenario. Um, what type of things is the court looking for in this type of case? Direct evidence of right or exercise of control, method of payment, the furnishing of equipment, and the right to fire. These are all things that the court's going to look at to say who is really in control here and, in essence, who's liable. That's not it, Steve. They're also going to focus on the relative nature of the work. Okay. Think about the character of the claimant's work. Is that similar to or separate from the, the employer's work? Mm-hmm. Is that work continuous or intermittent? Is it temporary or permanent? These types of things are also looked upon to determine whether or not an employee is an employee mm. or if he's an independent contractor. So this is that alternative test. So in a scenario, uh, which test do we use? 
I think it depends. It depends. Who's that? Who says that? I think that's your trusted lawyer. I think it could my be my trusted lawyer. We're the trusted lawyers. Either okay, one. got it. So it really depends on a couple of things, guys. Um, your case and your fact scenario and your fact patterns are what we're going to look at and use to go ahead and push the best possible defense for you. So if we look at your case and you say to me, oh, we exerted all the control, we have all these documents, then we'll say, let's go with the control test. But if we're looking at the other tests, we think to ourselves, you might go better off on this end. It's going to depend on what you guys uh, produce and give us when we're preparing for trial, right? Yeah, and it also depends on the investigation that leads up prior to trial, right? We need to produce a witness who can testify to all those factors and put the uh, argument more in our ballpark. We want to say that he's an independent contractor, so we need someone from the insured who's going to say, yes, he's got his own business, he promotes himself as his own business, mm -hmm. he's not an employee and should not be held as such. So when we're on the phone with you guys and we're talking about this case, this, these are the things we worry about, right? What are you producing? What type of documents? Who can you produce? That's why we're being so intense because that's the type of information we're looking for to put you in the best position for your case. Because remember, when you do nothing, it's compensable. Right, absolutely. So that concludes the substantive portion of the webinar today. Uh, we do have uh, some time allotted for question and answer. Uh, we do have a couple of them coming in right now. So we got your eyes are better than mine. Better. All right. The first question is about temporary or seasonal employees. Are they covered and why? Okay. Steve, can you handle that one? Okay, so when it comes to temporary seasonal employee, um, the short answer is yes, it's still technically compensable. Um, I know it seems a little intrinsically unfair because they might only be on for a month or two or when the weather's nice and you don't have them the entire year. But it goes to our previous point before that even if they're employed for uh, a day or two, it's still technically the responsibility of the employer. Now, uh, it might change the average weekly wage scenario. We might be able to use different multipliers there to bring down the average weekly wage and save you in money in terms of exposure. But when we're talking about whether or not it's compensable, it's still going to be compensable if it's a seasonal or temporary worker. But let's also keep in mind, though, that you have other uh, facts in your, on your side for advancing the independent contractor defense. Mm -hmm. The temporary nature of, them, uh, of an employee's status uh, is helpful. But standing alone, like you said, it's going to be compensable. So what you're saying is we want more information. Please give us more discovery, right? Yeah. All right. Great. All right. Okay. Uh, second question we have is about independent contractors and any special requirements. In regard to the trucking, it looks like? Truck, okay, yes, transportation, okay. yes. So when you have a, tr a trucking case or a transportation case, there are some secondary requirements that we also must fulfill. So keep in mind that the board's also going to look at that test that we talked about earlier, but there's going to be some special requirements. So the first is the trucking individual has to have his own Department of Transportation number. Okay. And the second one is it's got to have his own bill of lading. So in addition to the test, we have to be able to prove those two things in order to advance that he's an independent contractor. Okay, and in that, in that type of case, that also makes sense because we want to show that this, this trucker, this transportation, it's their own company. Uh, they, they are identified Department of Transportation. Uh, they actually exist. They're a thing. And at the end of the day, the liability should shift to them as opposed to you. Um, okay. It uh, looks like we've reached the time allotment for this webinar. So we want to thank everybody for attending. And uh, we do have a webinar next month. Uh, what is it, that about? Okay, it looks like the webinar next month is going to be on a topic of common defenses. Who's doing that? I think it might be me. Okay. Me? Yeah, yeah, it's That's me. You. So Good. I'll be on there next month, guys, as well. If Joseph Melchion from our office, uh, please come with your concerns. 
questions, uh, life crises, whatever you want. We'll so handle all of that. We'll handle it all, and we will respond by email eventually. Okay. All right. Thanks, everyone. Thank you very much.